listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. But now, it's time for this week's interview. Here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. My guest on today's show is an international best-selling author whose stories have been translated into German, Italian, Romanian, and Bulgarian. Matt Hilton quit his career as a police officer to pursue his love of writing, and he's been creating stories since childhood. He's the author of the Joe Hunter thriller series, which includes his most recent novel, The Devil's Anvil, number 10 in the Joe Hunter series. Matt also self-publishes some of his books, and these projects run alongside his traditionally published works. He's currently working on indie publishing the next Joe Hunter novel, No Safe Place. We'll be finding why that is in our chat today. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, the first thing, uh, Dead Men's Dust was first published in in 2009, um, when self-publishing, I guess, was pretty well in its infancy. So was was self-publishing even on your radar back then, Matt, or was was traditional the only way to go then? To be honest, I hadn't heard of self-publishing apart from Vanity Press and, you know, maybe somebody doing like a local book or something where they go to a local printer and have the books published to order. So really back then it wasn't a consideration for me. I was looking for a traditional deal and that's uh, the actual format that I was actually looking into for many, many years before I got my deal. So it was all new. Now I was working at BBC Radio Cumbria at the time and I can remember you being on the radio and it was very exciting when you got your five book deal. Oh yeah. (laughs) But there's a feeling sometimes that published writers like you have come out of nowhere and it's like you've just written a book and had this amazing success. (laughs) I'm guessing your overnight success took a a pretty long time to achieve. Many, many, many years. Yeah, I was writing since I was about 11 or 12 year old in earnest, you know, and, and submitting from the age of about 18 years old. So... My overnight success took about 30 years, <laughs> to be oh, honest. Really? That long? Yeah, yeah, That's a yeah. long time. Yeah, I was 42 when I got my first deal, you know, and I've been writing, like I said, since I was a young teenager. And what had you been writing since then, Matt? To be honest, when I first started, I was writing kind of pastiche, you know, people that I actually read and enjoyed, and I was writing my own versions of them. I started off doing short stories, uh, kind of uh, Conan the Barbarian. I was a big fan at the time, the Robert E. Howard books and uh, the men's action books from the 70s as well people like mac Ballin and you know the uh, the executioner he's called and the destroyer you can kind of see which way i'm leaning there so i was writing my own more or less my own versions of those styles of books you know just more or less mimicking and copying what i'd read and enjoyed that was the way i learned my craft really reading and doing so that was uh that until i was about maybe 16 17 year old um, I wasn't um, finding my own voice. I was going the route of fantasy and horror primarily, and then I discovered uh, crime fiction, in particular thrillers, and, you know, I started to lean more towards the thriller writing, which is, you know, where, where I've ended up these days. So I'm guessing that you were probably uh, banging your stories out on a typewriter in those days, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I started off writing by hand into into books, believe it or not, and then um, I got myself, I thought I was really high-tech with a one-line word processor, and for many years you know it was typing it out with a with a sheet of carbon paper between two pieces of paper you know so you had your copy so it was really slow and tedious and you know a lot of hard work you know if you made a mistake you had to go back and redo a full page back in them days you know computers made things much much easier for writers in that respect it's an interesting point there, Matt, because I think the whole process of composition yeah. is much easier now, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I do. I write straight onto the computer screen now, and, you know, I kind of edit as I go as well. So it's made it, it's made it like a simple process for actually getting words on paper. So it's the ideas and everything else that go with it that takes the time, you know. It's, but it's made it so much easier for a person like me. I, I, I've never trained to type. I'm still a two-finger typist. You know, so but I, I bash the words out. I've got my own method now, so it's it's really easy, and I've I've learned what I need to do, and and that kind of suits me. So there we go. 
Now, at the time, for uh, I said an unknown author, yeah. uh, a five-book deal was pretty sensational. That was amazing oh, with such a major publisher. Definitely. Um, for me, it was... Um, I, I don't know if people think you, you kind of exaggerate, but it was beyond my wildest dreams. You know, at the time, I'd have been happy just to get my name as a byline on something. <laughs> and then to get, like like you say, a five-book deal from Hoddo, which is one of the big biggest companies in the UK, you know, it was... It was it was a bit of a shock, to be honest. I was still a cop at the time. I was still a police officer patrolling the beat when I got the call. So things just went a little bit crazy overnight. And, um, you know, I went from being a, a police officer to a professional author. And I say that in the, uh, you know, in the wildest possible sense, um, kind of overnight. So it was a bit crazy. I was looking at your writing rate there because they were asking for two books a year on that deal, weren't they? It's one, one every six months. Yeah, that's correct. It was a, a publishing deal of two books per year. Um, at the time, um, you know, it sounds like a big ask, and it is. I'm not going to downplay it, but I'd written the first book in the series. I'd already gotten on with book two, and there was an 18-month break between me getting the deal and the first book coming to publication. So I got a bit of uh, lead into the actual, you know, into the five books, I think, before... Book one was on the stands. I was probably on writing maybe book then the book three, maybe the beginning of book four, as I recall. So it wasn't as difficult as what some people maybe assume at the time. I don't think that's a typical regime, though, for a traditionally published writer. It's more like an indie author's regime, I'd say. It, it definitely is. I mean, at the time, I think what they were looking for was to get some sort of um, shelf presence. So I think what they were the, 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 the idea was get them out, get them out quick, get you know, and build like a, a library. Um, on a shelf that way you're more accessible to the public rather than going into a bookshop and just seeing one book on a shelf some people just sometimes walk by but if they see an author's name repeated over two or three different books they think you've got possibly stern power more inclined to pick you up possibly I don't know but that was the idea so that that went for the first uh, seven books we're doing two a year publishing two a year that's a pretty. That is a pretty tight writing schedule. It, they kept coming thick and fast, did they? It, it, they did. They did. Um, what What happened was, I mean, um, when when I was writing those books as well, there was also a lot of other work to be done. So it wasn't just actually writing the books. You know, I, I had a deal with America as well, um, but they were bringing the books out one a year. So the actual publication schedule was really um, mixed up. So. I'd be maybe writing book four, um, publicising book one in the UK. Sorry, publicising book one in the US, but actually publicising book three in the United States and possibly editing book two for the US whilst thinking about ideas for book five. So it was a bit of, it was a, bit of a nutty time, but, you know, I kind of thrived on it and um, I got into the flow of, of actually writing at that rate. So it, 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 when it came to a point where Honda decided, right, we're going to slow the publishing down now and go to maybe one every nine months or one a year it felt like a big parachute had opened behind me it was like a big drag you know so it actually affected my output somewhat by not being on that um quick deadline but then again it gave me the opportunity to write other other works that i wanted to do so it was uh, good and bad in equal measures i guess when you got that publishing deal, man, yeah. we, had you gone the traditional agent route? Did you have somebody representing you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Um, but, you know, word, word to the, uh, the the wise here, it actually takes – it's harder nowadays to get an agent than it is to get a publishing deal, as, as crazy as that sounds. Um, and the, the same was back then. Back, back, I was kind of on the cusp just before digital publishing became big. So you're only keen, kind of – route into you know into a publisher was either being represented by an agent or if you were lucky you know sending a submission that was picked up by a um, submissions editor who would then pass it up the line but if you didn't get past that point you could you more or less that that was the end of your your possibility with that publisher you know so I went the route of searching for an agent and for years and years it took me about 10 or 15 years to actually get an agent interested so Finally, you know, I, I, it was just uh, things just seemed to happen. Um, I'm not going to say I had the magic formula or anything. I just happened to send my latest novel to the right agent at the right time. And I think they were actually looking for a specific genre at the time. Possibly had been given some cues from some of the publishers as to what they were looking for. And my, you know, my submission landed on his desk just at the right opportune time.
how long had Joe Hunter been around in your mind at that stage? Oh, for about three or four years, I guess. Mm. Um, I'd written a book previous to, to Dead Men's Dust called Covenant of Dead Names. It remains um, unpublished, but it was a, a kind of proto version of Joe Hunter and Rinkis sidekick, but they were different characters. And I sent it out to publishers, and although I got some, you know, good comments back, and you know, it, it was um, it, it was almost there. That was the the kind of um, feedback that I was getting from them. So I looked back at it, and I just looked and seen why it wasn't maybe as commercial as what it could be, and I had it maybe too too small, if that makes sense. I had it was British PIs, uh, private investigators, in England. And I just don't think my arena was big enough for what the publishers were looking for for an international thriller at the time. I kind of went back to the old drawing board. I looked around and I thought, well, what books am I reading? You know, and I was I was a big fan of Jeffrey Dever and Robert Cray and John Connolly and people like that. And I realised that they had characters who were, um, you know, well, basically set in America for a start, but there were there were recurring characters. And it was like a serious character, and I realised that you know publishers are looking for commercial viability. With with the the previous books that I'd submitted, they were standalone, I guess. So, you know, they, they had like a shelf life, and then that was it. So I decided, you know, go back to the drawing board, look at making something that could be a sustainable series, and I redeveloped these characters from Covenant of Dead Names. And, you know, I came up with the names. Uh, it wasn't actually Joe Hunter at the time. It was a different name again. But um, I came up with this scenario of of uh, this um, ex-soldier going off to America in search of his um, brother. And things just kind of escalated from there and built on from there. And like I said, I, I submitted this uh, novel at the time. Simon Koenig had just had a huge hit. And it was a big summer read. And I actually looked and seen who his agent was. And... When I looked, it was a guy called Luigi Bonomi. And when I looked, he was actually actively seeking new authors. So I sent it to him. On I was never expecting to get anywhere, but um, I got a phone call. Can you send us the rest of the novel? And then wanted to meet me. This was in November of 2007. <clears throat> so I made the trip down to London and, and spoke to him. And I realised afterwards, and he's actually admitted this afterwards, that he was testing me to see what I was like, see if I had the resolve to work. And he set me a number of tasks to rewrite the novel with more of an idea of making it more streamlined and making it more applicable to an international audience. And I went back, done the work and, and delivered it. And then, you know, in the March, he signed me on and that's where the deal came from. Listening to what you're saying, Matt, yeah. the word resilience is is coming over loud and clear for me. Yeah, you sound like you've taken a few, you know, punches and you've had to just keep going. Oh, definitely, definitely. Over the years, you know, I had a few almost, but not quite good enough moments. You know, where I, I was, um, I entered a, a national competition to have my book published, and I came second. You know, I, I, I got a. a a prompt on one of my earlier books called Always Watchful. I was actually asked to, to see the, the entire book by the publisher and it was going up the up the um up you know through through the, the hierarchy up in the publishers and it got so far and then stalled and then you know that that was knocked back. So that was nine years before Dead Men's Dust. But it gave me that also gave me that feeling like I'm not it's not quite good enough yet, but I'm not I must be on the right track. If that makes sense again from me. So it, it it kind of spurred me on to go back and start again and, and have another go and keep pushing. The reason I called this podcast self-publishing journey yeah. is, is because I really feel that right, writing is a journey yeah. and that when you write any book, it's almost like uh, limbering up before you exercise. Yeah. It's just Definitely. stretching exercise. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a good old warm up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so nothing's ever wasted there. Because you, you could look back now, you've had a successful career, you could look back at all that. I mean, you must have been quite despondent at some times when, when you were just thrashing away and nothing was happening. There, there was times when I was thinking, you know, uh, is it worth it? Am I ever going to make it? You know, because I'm, I'm a Cumbrian lad and I live quite rural. I didn't know another author at the time. There was no social networks or anything where you can actually meet and, you know, meet up with people online. I didn't have a, a mentor at the time or anything like that. I didn't even know the process that I should go through. And it was all self-taught and self-learned. So 
to be honest, there was times when I got a bit despondent and I thought, well, this is never going to happen. I just thought, unless you live in London and you've got connections, you know, you'll never get a, a, a deal. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of proof to the opposite, in fact. So it, it was just like you said, it was resilience and just keep going. Pig-headedness, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but I'm one of those people, Paul. I'd be, I'd be writing if I wasn't being published, if that makes sense. I'd still be... I'd still have to write. I mean, it's, it's in me to, to actually write and tell stories. So I guess if I was, uh, you know, if there was no such a thing as self-publishing, I'd still be writing just for my own pleasure. You mentioned the word mentor yeah. just there. Mm-hmm. Did, did you have a mentor? What do you think about having mentors as a writer? Right, I didn't have a mentor growing up. My mentors were the books that I was reading, as uh, cliched as that sounds. Um, there is one chap I'd like to mention, though, who uh, gave me some great advice and some uh, feedback at one point, and he's called Adrian Magson, and he's another thriller author. Um, many years ago, I just saw that Adrian had got his first book deal with Creme de la Crime for a series. He was writing in one of the writing, it was writing magazine, it was called at the time, and it still is. And I just happened to see that there was an email address for him. So I just, I sent him an email just, um, you know, uh, congratulating him and saying that, you know, it's it's my dream to be published one day. And Adrian was kind enough to actually reply and answer me and give me some tips and encourage me to approach his publisher with my latest novel. Now, this is one of those almost but not quite good enough novels. <laughs> so it was called Critical Choices by by chance, and you're not going to believe this, but it was very, very similar at the time. Harlan Corbin had just written a book called uh, Trust No One. Oh, I love that book. I, <laughs> yes. I, I did myself, but I hated it at the same time because it had mm. very, very similar themes when I read it, it was pointed out to me, you know, it's, it's similar to Trust No One. And I hadn't read the book. And when I read the book, very, very similar themes. It, it, mm. was, a, it was a total different story. But, you know, it was about, you know, the uh, missing wife, you know, thought dead, come back later, that, that kind of idea. So it was just a case of uh, maybe some people will think you've not copied it, but just kind of trying to jump on that bandwagon. So... It was kind of turned down at the time, but shows your next book. But as it was, um, life overtook me at the time. And I never, ever got, got back to that. But anyway, going back to Adrian, I'll tell you a strange story. I was actually in Baltimore in the U.S. and bumped into him in a shopping mall by chance, and we recognised each other, you know. Lovely. And we've been, we've been firm friends ever since. So we're kind of, we're not mentors to each other, but we're a, we're a springboard for each other. We, we, we chat and we converse and we, we share our news, that kind of thing. So I, I owe a lot to Adrian, I guess. Um, you know, I'm very thankful for the friendship as well. So I'd say, I'd say if I, if I did have a mentor in writing, it would be Adrian Magson. When you got your deal yeah. uh, originally, had, had you been making any money from your writing at all? None whatsoever, none whatsoever. I'd placed a few articles. I'm a martial artist as well. Uh, I teach martial arts, and at the time I was submitting a few articles to Combat Magazine. So, you know, I, I had been published. I had my byline under a couple of articles, but really it was it was fiction writing that I wanted to do. And No, I had never placed a, a not even a short story. I'd never got a book deal or anything like that before. So when I when I got the deal for the Jaunter books, it was my first paying gig. Fantastic. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a there's a lot of um, comfort in here, I think, for people who've been writing a long time yeah. <laughs> and, and just keep going at it. Yeah, keep keep plugging away. And if, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But, you know, I, I was on a, a forum this morning, a, a, um, a Facebook forum, and somebody's a reader on there and just, oh, by reading all these things, I've got the urge to write. What should I do? You know, and it was one of those kind of questions. And I don't, I don't want to put anybody off. Right, go for it get down right but i think nowadays people just think you just write a book and it gets published you know it's as simple as that for some people in their minds who haven't done it and i i don't want to you know say how many different than any other writer many writers have had many 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 years of learning the craft and learn you know sitting on the the bums and at the desk or wherever and writing you know and that's that's the way to write a book is to actually get on and do it as, as flippant as that sounds um, B-I-C, button chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Button chair, get writing, you know, so. 
It's just I, I'm assuming that when you look back at your books, with uh, let's take the Joe Hunter books, yeah. for instance, we've got Dead Men's Dust. When you look back at the books you've written, yeah. do you see a, an improvement in your writing over those books? I hope I hope that I do. And you know something, it's like everybody says, you know, you're always embarrassed by your first book um, further down the line because you see mistakes that you made at the time and you see inconsistencies and you see, you know, you, you, things come back to haunt you later that you didn't consider at the time. So there were certain things in that book. Now, if I had my time over again, they wouldn't be there. And I'd, I'd add other things, if that makes sense. But uh, you can't do it. You can't turn back the clock, I guess. So unless I do a director's cut you know, in years to come. <laughs> <laughs> so um, sometimes uh, the book gets criticised for being um, very, very similar in, in context to one of Lee Child's early books. And... To, to be honest, I'll, I'll tell you the truth, I hadn't read any of Lee Child's books at the time, but they're often compared. And some of the themes were, you know, allegedly similar to uh, The Killing Floor that uh, Lee Child first, you know, had his um, first Jack Reacher novel. And mm. Jack Reacher fans, more or less, you know, they'll say, oh, it, it, it's, it's just a rip-off of Jack Reacher. And, uh, uh, you know, hand on heart, I hadn't read any Jack Reacher at the time. I came from a different stable of writers, and it just happened to be that we we crossed, um, you know, the, the genre is what it is, and it, similar themes keep popping up, and I think that's why they came about. So, you know, if I had my time over again, I, I might I might change the the actual subplot so it didn't reflect that. As crazy as it sounds, but <laughs> <laughs> not a bad comparison to have, though. Is it? Well, it isn't. Usually. It isn't. You know, it's it's both helped and hindered my career, obviously, because um, you know, obviously readers of Lee Child will pick up my book, but the ones who are staunch Lee Child readers, obviously, you know, I, I get a backlash sometimes, um, thinking I'm maybe a new kid on the block, and it's it, it's totally not the way, you know, Lee Child's the best Jack Reacher writer, and, you know, I write Joe Hunter, the, the, it's not a comparison, it's, it's just... Um, we're writing the same genre, so it, it's lovely to be mentioned in the same sentences as Lee obviously you know and as it is you know I've become a, a friend of Lee's over the years and some people point out that I actually thank Lee in the acknowledgement of Dead Men's Dust and that's because Lee actually made contact with me when he heard about my deal and actually congratulated me and told me that you know if he was there if I needed any advice so you know I think that's again people think I was Possibly, um, I don't know. I jumped on Lee's coattails or something. I, I, it wasn't the wasn't the fact, but you know, some people have actually uh, questioned the fact that I mentioned Lee in in my acknowledgements. But it was because he was kind enough to actually contact me and, and offer advice. And he's always been a pure gentleman every time I've met him. You know, and um, well, what more can be said? Is he's, he's great, and uh, his books are great. So mm, yeah. there we go. <laughs> I had, I had a dig around at your reviews, man, yeah. um, because, um, uh, I, I, and I'm really interested in your reviews because, obviously, you know, you're getting the four and fives in the majority, but we've got some one stars. Oh, in yeah, yeah. I polarise opinions, yeah. You, you do, and, I, and I'm really interested in that because I don't think, I mean, you know, I haven't looked at everybody's reviews, but I thought, oh, you, you do polarise opinion a lot. Yeah. How do you feel about getting those one stars? Because even if you've, you know, you've got a contract that you've had success, some of them must hurt. They are hurtful when they become, uh, you know, when they become uh, personal. Um, it, it, the, the fact is, people like what they like, and if they don't like it, this can be sometimes quite harsh about it. And that's just a, a fact of life. And if you if you're going to be a writer, you have to grow kind of inured to the fact that some people are going to hate what you actually produce. The only ones I don't like is where it's it's um, you know where assumptions are made wrongly and uh, where there's personal attacks. One one guy wrote that Matt Hilton needs hit on the head and dropped in a canal. You know, <sighs> what you know, that 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 to me isn't a review. That's a that's a personal attack. And just because he didn't like what my book was about, you know, I was suggesting that I should be murdered and dumped in a canal. You know, it, it's yeah. like what? You know, so stuff yeah. stuff like that. But I mean I, you know, like I say, I polarise some people. You know, some people are actually glowing reviews. And, you know, I know, and you know, they're not the best books in the world. They're entertainment. They are what they are. You know, the good thumping action thriller reads. They're, but they're not going to win any uh, literary prizes, you know. But, 
you know, I think I think a fair review would be three and four stars along the way. You get your super fans who give you five star reviews, etc. But then, like I say, I get the one star reviews. I had a, a one star review from a guy who, who only read the first page, you know, and said I was trying to, um, I don't know, copy other writers who were, you know, far better than I was. And I thought, well, you haven't even read the book, you know, how can you, mm. how can you base something on the first page, which was a stream of consciousness uh, from one of the villains at the time. And I, but you get that, and it's just something you have to grow used to. There's this, sadly, sadly, other other um, people sometimes attack you because they're a bigger fan of someone else. So I get that, you know, this is nowhere near as good as you know an insert, uh, whichever thriller writer that they're, they're they're a fan of. You know, you'd be far better reading, you know, Chris Ryan, for example, often get uh, put alongside as well. Um, people like uh, James Patterson or, or particularly Lee Child, you know, so sometimes get the one stars based on the fact that it isn't, you know, a, 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 an Alex Cross book or it isn't a, um, you know, a, a Jack Reacher book. So I just take those on the chin now. I just, I just, you know, go with, go with the flow these days. I know it's a fact of life and just go with it. Mm, it's that word resilience again. I yeah, think, yeah, it? you I have guess. to. I mean, to, to be honest, Paul, you know, I, I spent 18 years in security and then another five as a police officer, so I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, so when did pub- self-publishing begin to pique your interest then? Okay, it came about because, I, I, again, I'll, you know, I sound a bit contradictory and probably if you read an interview from me maybe four or five years ago, I'd probably have a totally different opinion. At the time, I was really pro paperback books and, you know, I wanted people to have books in their hands and I was really negative against things like Kindle and uh, et cetera, you know, and e-books. Other e-readers are available, of course. Mm. (laughs) So um, I was really negative against them and I was like, keep books, books and keep books, paper and all this kind of stuff. But obviously, the the actual publishing models changed over the years and... um, I've realized now that I have to move with the times and I thought I, I can't get left behind. So therefore I've got to be better embracing it. Now I'll, I'll tell you a very, very brief story and I don't want to take up too much time with this. When I first got that deal, people, uh, some people, you know, aspiring authors thought I was some sort of, um, you know, I, I had the golden ticket or I had the, you know, the formula, the winning formula. And I got a lot of requests for advice, etc. And will you read my story and that kind of um, approach. Now, because I'd been kind of um, out on a limb, I'd never had that kind of exposure before. It, it, it kind of came on me. I, I felt like I wanted to give something back to the, to the you know, aspiring authors who'd been in the same boat to me for many, many years. So I set up a website called Thrillers, Killers and Chillers. Mm-hmm. And it was a short story um, website where... People were actually sending their, their short stories and, you know, I'd publish the best and then invite feedback from their peers. And to be to be honest, there was a lot of people at the time were, were going on um, building their careers from, from thrillers, killers and chillers. And they were getting approaches from agents and they were getting approaches from uh, publishers, etc. And I just got the inkling at the time that, you know, I, I don't mean like a monetary thing because it's never been about the money, uh, but I just thought, you know, there's people going off and getting published here. Why don't I have a go at publishing some of these writers myself in a collection or something? So I actually uh, published um, two collections called Action, Pulse, Pound and Tales, and that were my first foray into um, self-publishing. And they were just Kindle um, ebook um, collections, but that then gave me. I, I sat back and I thought, well, look, I've got my other genre stuff that isn't getting picked up by any of the publishers. And there's a story to that as well. So I decided just to to start publishing some of my other genre work, um, some of my horror and and um, kind of dark fiction. Um, under my own wing so I just started to you know the way some people do just doing it myself designing my own covers and you know formatting a book and sticking it out there and seeing how it did so that's that's how I got into it how I got into the um, self-publishing itself so it, it, it came about by a sequence of events that's what I'm trying to say so it sounds like you're doing all the work yourself. You, you're putting it into a, what, a Microsoft Word document, uploading it, and getting a cover. That, that's the way I was doing it at first, mm. yeah, and just doing it myself on one of the word processors, um, you know, just uploading it to Kindle, 
build me on cover on on um, on not not on Photoshop, but on um, um, Pixlr or GIMP. You know, one of the online mm. um, free web-based uh, Photoshopy things. You can tell I'm not very technical, <laughs> 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 but um, as times progressed, I've, I, I realised that you can't be just churning out, you know, just a, a word doc with a with a person to get a cover, you know. And I started to to farm out some of the work to, you know, professionals. So for for some of the some of the my books, I've um, got a graphic designer called Nicola Biddle who done some of the work on the covers for me, and she's done a really good job, far better than I could have done. You know, and um, my most recent one that I'm working on now, I decided to go that bit further, and I've I've actually um, went to a, a company that actually specialises in design and covers for for self publishers. They're called the Cover Collection. If if anybody's interested, and they've designed the cover package um, for my latest Joe Hunter novel that I'm publishing myself. Why then, having done ten books traditionally, uh-huh. are we suddenly self-publishing Joe Hunter? Right again, there's a story to that. Can I can, <laughs> can I just backtrack uh, just, just a little ways? Um, pretty much for for the last two or three years, I've been writing one Joe Hunter a year, and I've been writing other work as well. So I've been writing another series um, featuring two characters called Tesgrey and Paul Villare. So yes. I've actually got that as another publishing deal. Um, with a with another publisher with Seven House, so I'm still I'm still doing traditional publishing there. With Joe Hunter, there was always just like there was always a a kind of caveat that you know would run it to a ten book series. Now I was never quite happy with that. I was thinking, well, if it's still got legs, let's keep going. But I think this was the model that um, Hodder and Stoughton had based on. So the you know I, I, I've I'd written book eleven. And submitted it, and although they still loved it and liked it and everything, they decided that you know they, they were going to finish with with the tenth book, and let the series stand on a high rather than you know some some series sometimes fiddle out fizzle out after a while. So I felt strongly enough about the Joe Hunter character that I think he's still got you know he's still got legs, and he's mm. still got a lot of fans. So. I was actually approached by various other publishers to take on the reins with with Joe Hunter, but at the expense of sounding like um, you know a, a bit precious about my own character, I just wanted to keep hold of him as my own entity. So I just thought, right, I'm going to be kind of publishing these other books in future for other publishers, but I still want Joe Hunter to be there, and I'll still work on Joe Hunter. And actually, uh, I thought, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out as my flagship book with my publishing wing and re re revigorize or regenerate or however you want to look at it, my my self-publishing wing as well for for the future i just think that these days there's a lot of hybrid authors people who are traditionally published and publish um some of their other works that wouldn't necessarily get a commercial outlet so it's just you know that was my idea if i published john to myself then it, it kind of gives more gravitas to me on indie publishing so there are no rights issues with that at all. No, there isn't. No, I own the rights. I, oh, good. I own the rights. The the obviously Hodder still own the rights to the first ten books, but they don't own the rights to any further books that are right. They have the option for first refusal. They've had the 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 gift first refusal. Therefore, the book's mine to do with as I wish. So there we go. So it's it's mine. I do still have I do still have an American publisher who's doing the John to books and they will still do um you know the John to 11 no safe place down and out books are still going to be doing that in America so I've just taken the the UK and Commonwealth rights and that's how I'll be doing the um the indie publishing version too what about all the bits and pieces that a traditional publisher will give you in terms of support? So normally when you do the Joe Hunter books, you'd have somebody taking care of the cover. You'd have the proofreading done, the copy editing done, the structural edits taken care of. That's right. You're having to do all that yourself now, presumably. Yeah, do it myself or, do it, or, or you know, send out the, the actual work to other people. So, you know, for the best will in the world, you can look at your own document a million times and still miss something glaringly obvious. Mm. You, you tend to see what you think's there rather than what is there. So it's always good to have, you know, professional proofreader, beta readers to look over it before, you know, you go to actual press. So I, I, I have got a number of people that I actually fall back on and use. Uh, use, that's the wrong word. 
but um, you know who helped me on the actual production of the actual document itself. And like I said, I've actually went out professionally to people to actually design the covers, etc. For me, so the the big big part. I mean, you can you can turn up the nicest looking, best written book in the world, but it's a market, and that's a difficult bit. And that's where I'll struggle. Whereas a a you know a, a traditional publisher would do a lot of that work for me. So a lot of my time will probably be spent marketing the book, uh, trying to get it into the hands of readers. That'll be probably the most difficult part and the, the hardest learning curve for me as well. When I heard you talk at the, the Crime Festival in, in Carlisle yeah. last year, mm-hmm. um, it, was, it, was, it was fascinating to, to, you know, to hear all the crime writers talking there. Yeah. And I, I wondered if Joe Hunter um, had become a bit of an albatross for you. Yes, and is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah, yes and no. Yes and no. It, it become an albatross because my publisher was only interested in Joe Hunter books, um, uh, and I think that's probably where where you're coming from. It's uh, I'd submit other books and I'd say, oh no, 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 we'll just you know we'll just stick to Joe Hunter. You know, you're the Joe Hunter man, and we don't want to cause any reader confusion. Which mm. I, I felt a little bit uh, insulting to readers, you know, as if they don't have the. The, the intelligence to actually decide from the cover whether it's a Joe Hunter book or not, you know. Mm. So they the just flat turned down other projects that I was sending to them um, on the, the, the fact that, no, no, we just want the next Joe Hunter book, you know. So it became a bit of an albatross in that respect, yeah. But as for the character itself, you know, I still love the character. I'm not tired of writing the books. Um, it felt a little bit like I'd been writing the same book for the last, you know, <laughs> number of years because I was I was so in, engrossed and engaged in writing the the, the John to thrillers for so long, but um, it, it was just actual um, creativity that it was an albatross in that uh, I, I wasn't really given the opportunity to to try anything, you know, outside of that genre. It's it's primarily why I've had to go to another publisher with my other series, believe it or not. Um, is because they didn't they didn't want to cause you know confusion on the shelves in case um, you know people were expecting the latest Jones and they picked up a, a book of, about a, a female investigator instead. It's a bit nuts to me, but you know, yeah. who am I to challenge the powers that be? As they say. Well, what about the remuneration model on self-publishing, Matt? Because we're looking at you know seventy percent uh, royalties uh, on the books with uh, with traditional publishers. You know, by the time you've paid agents and things, it's it's quite low. Though obviously, as you just said earlier, you get then the marketing machine behind you, which is which is worth a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is there's a again there's a good and bad with everything. Um, so you know, the publishers that they've got their their customer base, but sometimes. It, it can also stifle you as an author, um, and you're at the the kind of mercy of buyers. And and I don't want to sound negative or anything like that. I kind of got my deal just as a financial crash occurred, <laughs> and a lot of bookshops went out of business, and a lot of the supermarkets stopped buying, you know, paperback books, and you know the digital revolution took over. Now wasn't on the cusp of that. Therefore, I missed out on it. So it's been difficult. Although I'm, you know, I do well. I don't do magnificently well, unfortunately, through the um, the marketing that even one of the big publishers do. I think these days, and you know, this is only my opinion. I might be wrong, but I think these days is most of the marketing budgets given to the people who are already big stars. Um, mm. And people who are kind of middleist authors, you're just left to to wallow and just see how you do. And I don't think there's an awful lot of marketing goes into middleist authors at all, you know, if anything. Um, you know, when I see it's like the, the marketing plans and stuff, it's, you know, oh, presence on social networks or something. It's like, well, you know, everybody's got a presence on social networks these days. You're, you're one of millions who are vying for space, you know, and you maybe get one review in a national newspaper or something like that. And then that's the end of it. You know, I haven't done any, uh, very, very few um, of the publicity gigs that I do are actually arranged by my publisher. A lot of them are things that, you know, I've been approached myself or I've arranged myself. So, and that's the same for most Middle East authors these days. You know, you, you have to get out there and try and get your name known. So, you know, you could argue that, you know, the the marketing publicity that you get from your your major publishers 
it's very very slim these days so you know if you can do it and you you know what you're doing you're as well doing it yourself and taking that bigger margin on the on the royalty but i haven't got it right yet so you know mm. we'll, we'll see how we get on we'll see this is all a learning curve for me at the moment paul so you know i'm, I'm probably in the, the same position as a lot of um aspiring self-publishers who are, are learning the game so you know I've, I've done some things right and i've done some things wrong so you know in future i hope to not repeat my mistakes of the past and you know i'm um looking for for advice from from other people who have been successful who are you know steering me in the in the right direction for a change so that's not brilliant you you um write a phenomenal amount by the sounds of it i'm, I'm just interested yeah. in how you manage your time and, and how much you write when you sit down do you have a quick daily writing quota yes um i do and i don't and that's again contradictory i'm a, I'm a man of contradictions um I, I when i'm when i'm flowing when i've got when i've got my real you know my, my real writer's hat on if you want it's not unknown for me to write upwards of uh, three and four thousand words a day and I tend to aim for at least a thousand words a day, but sometimes life gets in the way, you know, and that's not obviously not achievable. So um, I, I do try to get down on, on my seat at my desk every day and, and, and get out at least a thousand words. Um, sometimes, like I said, it's upwards of that. And you know, when you when you're on that downslope towards the end of a book, it's not unusual for me to, you know, just to keep writing from morning till dark, and um, everything the world just passes me by <laughs> I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't i don't see it so that but i do try to discipline myself to get uh, at least a thousand words a day down people say you know how can you write how can you write all these books in one year but the way i look at it and getting getting the first draft down if you if you imagine it's a ninety thousand word novel it's a thousand words a day for for three months and then you've got your first draft down you know, it's it's not unachievable when you look at it like that. If you're doing two thousand and four thousand words a day, you can see how you can actually write a book in, you know, in forty five days if you want with two thousand words. Now, uh, that's unrealistic, obviously, because that's just your rough draft. So there's a lot of work that comes into it after that. Uh, so I'm not suggesting a book from beginning to end produced in forty five days. I just mean if you if you do discipline yourself and get down and work hard, you, uh, and get the words on on screen then you can produce those books in that in that length of time. So people sometimes marvel at me, say, well, you've written three novels this year, plus, you know, about, about ten short stories, plus all the articles that you do and all the blogging that you do. How do you do it? The way I see it is I, I, I see it as my, it's as my craft and my job, and I have to, you know, you have to be professional about these things. If you want to be, if you want to write professionally, you have to be professional and, you know, I get up, I get down to work, and um, I, I, I try to treat it as as work, as opposed to just something I'm doing for a laugh. And mm. you know, that, therefore, I'm, I'm able to actually get my word count down. So, Do you plot your books beforehand, Matt? Are you a detailed plotter, or, or are you a pantser? No, I'm a pantser. De- <laughs> definitely a pantser. That's good to hear. Yeah, I, I usually just have a an idea, sometimes just a theme for the novel, and I just start writing. I'm quite visual. So I actually, I maybe plot scenes in my mind, uh, choreograph scenes and see where they take me. So quite often it'll be just be a, a, you know, an action scene that I write just to get the actual, um, the blood flowing inside me and get the ideas flowing as well. And often from the, from, from what's happening, it gives me a kind of backstory or an idea and then I'll go from, you know, I'll go from there and build on that idea and the story develops from there. I'll tell you a little story about Dead Men's Dust. It came from me sitting pondering one day. I was looking up at the ceiling, wondering if, I, if you shot through a ceiling, would, would it kill somebody upstairs, you know? And it was one of those random thoughts. You mentioned that to, to everybody at home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just how the mind of a writer works. Yes. Uh, so, you know, and from there, a, a full, you know, at the time it was 120-odd thousand-word novel came from that mm. one idea. 
You know, can you? I, I, can you? I still don't know to this day because I haven't tried it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it just begged a lot of questions. You know, well, why would you be shooting through a ceiling and what would be the purpose of doing it? And that, you know, and it, it came from, well, there has to be someone upstairs trying to harm you or harm someone that you were trying to protect. And, you know, the, the, a whole scene developed from that one little thought. And um, at, that, at that point, it, it, it turned into Joe Hunter and his friend Rink assaulting this um, warehouse where they thought there was a person being held hostage. And um, from there, I had to decide in my mind, well, who's being held hostage? It's going to have to be somebody who cares for to make it all worthwhile to go into that scenario. You know, and this is where the fact that his brother had been gone missing in America, he'd went over looking for him and, you know, I'd fallen into this um, cat and mouse chase. So that that scene actually appears some, just after the one the third, one third part of the novel. So I actually then wrote backwards. I don't mean backwards physically. I just mean, you know, I had to, I had to work backwards to a, a natural starting point. Um, to get Joe Hunter from beginning un- up to that point, you know, and then from there on, um, you know, the, the book kind of fell into place and, and wrote itself, to be honest. It was just one of those uh, stories that poured out of me at the time. Um, just um, a lot of, um, you know, inspiration and a lot of, a lot of, um, sorry, I'm, I'm saying lots of erms here. <laughs> I do apologise. <laughs> That you know, a, a lot of the ideas that I'd had in my mind for years and years, some of the books that I'd read, and you know, some of the influences. Um, you know, I, I think again for a first book, you sometimes try to put too much in, you know, because you have so many good ideas that you want them all there, and mm. you know, I, they all just poured out of me onto the page, and that's where that book come come from. But like I said, it, it went from something like one hundred twenty eight thousand words, and it was cut down to about ninety thousand during edits. So. There was a lot more there when I wrote it originally. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was in Spain last year yeah. and, uh, at a second-hand bookstore. Right. And there were loads of your books there. Oh, really? And, Good. Uh, because I know you as a local author. I was thinking, you know, how, how cool is that, that a Cumbrian author can have these books? You know, and I, I'm in the middle of nowhere in Spain, and, I, I, and there's know, your books there. I know. It, it, it's crazy. I, I, know, I know what you mean. It's actually an absurd and surreal feeling when you see your name on a, on a bookstand in a foreign country. And... Um, I get photographs sent to me from all over the world. You know, I've seen your book in Kuala Lumpur. or I've seen them in Thailand. I'm thinking, God, the, the books are going places I've never been, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very weird and surreal. And, um, you know, it is a buzz. It is a buzz. There is a little bit of ego in, in all writers, I guess. And to see your name out there, it is a little buzz. And I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it, it was amazing. I just think, wow, what does that feel like to have books all over the place? Amazing, uh, amazing, real achievement. Oh yeah, yeah. So we've got, we've still got the the traditionally published books. Yeah, you're doing a lot more self publishing. You've yeah. got loads of new challenges with that. Yeah. What What lies ahead for for Matt Hilton then? What's coming next? Right, I've got a couple of projects uh, on the go. I've just written book two in my new series with Tess and Poe. Uh, we'll call it that for ease. Um, that's called Painted Skins, and that'll be coming out in August um, with uh, Seven House. Joe Hunter, the one I'm indie publishing myself, is called No Safe Place. That comes out 31st of May. So I, I, I foresee a lot of publicity for, for both those books coming up. In the meantime, I'm going to be getting on with book three in the Tess and Poe series. Mm. But um, as anybody who's actually looked at any of my um indie published books will noise i'm also a horror writer i mm. do love uh, horror and i love um you know I, li- I like a creepy story so you know i've got a couple of ideas for a couple more in you know in, in horror genre if you want i do another series and i keep meaning to get back to it um with a character called carter bailey and i self-published that a few years ago and you know all, you know readers loved it I was hoping at the time I'd get a, public, a traditional deal from it, which didn't transpire. Um, but it's characters I want to go back to and, and write book two in, in that series. And I've also got an outstanding two books in another trilogy that I'm writing. Oh, yeah. So I've got, I've got various ideas, you know, for, for, for new books in the future. But uh, Joe Hunter's obviously going to continue. Tess and Poe's going to continue. They're, my, they're the ones that I'm known for, but... Uh, you know, I've got I've got loads more ideas along the way. Something that I am going to be doing very shortly in June is narrating my first 
Oh, wow. And, and it, it, it's one of those uh, things where I'm thinking now, why did I agree, why did I agree to this? <laughs> you know, it's yeah, going to be hard work there, it, I'm telling it, you. Yeah. It's going to be really, really difficult. A, a number of years ago, I was down at Hodder and they'd put a video together and they were trying to get the, the right voice for Joe Hunter. And I said something and I repeated the lines and my editor said, we should have got you to narrate this instead. And I just mm. said, you know, I, I just jokingly said, yeah, well, if you ever want us to narrate them, just give us a shout. And, you know, 10 bucks in, it's it's actually going to be the devil's anvil. Um, I was approached by the, the audio publisher Magna to narrate it myself. And, you know, in a mad moment, I said, yes, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but I've got the, uh, I've got the, uh, the jitters now thinking, oh my Lord, what have I actually signed up to? You know, it's, it's going to be a different thing altogether. As you can hear, I'm, I'm eminent eyeing. So I think there'll be a lot of editing, you know, in the studio before it's actually finished. So I've got that look to look forward to. Yeah, there's a lot of hard work. I mean, I, um, I've i had an audio book done right. and I paid someone to do it because... Yeah, that's that's uh, the I, best way. <laughs> yeah, having having done radio, I thought, yeah. well, I know how much work is involved in getting a good take on a whole, you know, 90,000-word book. That's a lot of work. De- that is, de- so. Definitely. You know, they've got me booked into the studio for three days. So it's <laughs> going to be something new. But I'm one of these people, Paul. I've, I've got an interest in it all. And, you know, it, it's something... I'll, I'll probably love it afterwards. I'm not loving it now, but I'll probably yeah. love it afterwards when I've when I've experienced it and and done it. Um, there's, I'm very interested in in uh, movie, you know, movies and TV and stuff like that for the very same reason. It's all about telling stories in one form or another. So, you know, it's something that I'll learn from and I'll be able to bring back. And possibly in future, you know, if I'm looking at indie publishing audio, it'll it'll give me a heads up as well. So I know that's that's kind of the the next big thing apparently is the the audio books um, in indie publishing. So it's something that really I probably should learn to keep on on the front foot for a change. So yeah, we'll yeah. see how we go. We'll see. Where, where can we find out more about you, Matt? That's uh, the last thing I need to ask you. Where are the best places to go online to check you? Okay, out? so I'm I'm active on the social networks. Um, I'm on Facebook as Matt Hilton author, and I've also got my official page at Matt Hilton Books on on Facebook. Um, on Twitter as well, I'm on there as M Hilton author, and my website is matthiltonbooks.com. So I can be found. I usually stomping around those places quite a lot. And um, I try to engage with everybody that gets in touch with me one way or another. I think it's important if someone's taking the time to get in touch, I make the, the time to get back in touch. So if somebody, you know, does want to speak to me, um, you know, I do I do reply. And uh, there's a email address at my website, matthiltonbooks at live.co.uk, if anybody, you know, has anything... Um, they want to stick in an email and send across some um, uh, I welcome those as well so please do get in touch fantastic well look it's been really excellent just watching your career flourish uh, from afar as a, as a Cumbrian writer thank you uh, and I really want to congratulate you you've done some amazing things amazing achievements thank you ever so much for joining us on the program today. you're very very welcome and thanks for having me thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. If you're new to self-publishing, you might also like to check out selfpublishingacademy.com, the step-by-step guide to getting your manuscript off your hard drive and into print. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.